Hello, my name's Frank and I'm the host of the UFO Thinker podcast. I'd always been mildly interested in UFOs, but like many people, the events of 2017 ignited a fire of curiosity for the UFO topic, which has been raging ever since. I wanted to start a podcast, but initially thought, well, I'm not an astrophysicist, I'm not a fighter pilot, and I've never even seen a UFO. I'm just a normal guy who's interested in this mystery. But that's when a light bulb went off. There are so many other people just like me who are fascinated with this stuff. So why not start a podcast to talk about it from the ordinary guy's perspective? All the BS stripped away, as a few people have said. And let's see if we can get to the truth in all of this. Thanks to everyone who's been on board with the journey so far. It's been amazing to see so many listeners tuning in. And if you're new here, welcome. You can now support the podcast on Patreon with tiers starting from £3 per month. The podcast will always be 100% free, but supporting the show in this way allows me to devote more time and make the show bigger and better. Higher tiers also include special benefits such as being able to suggest episode topics and get merchandise. And I really truly appreciate every listener whether you support on Patreon or not. So now with all of that said, let's get into today's episode. Okay, so I'm very pleased to welcome to the show today, Chris Leto. How are you doing, Chris? Yeah, excellent, Frank. Thank, thanks for having me on. Good to be here. No, yeah, my pleasure. Great to have you on. So I know you as a very experienced former fighter pilot and currently a video analyst and UAP investigator, member of the UFO community. But just for anybody who's uh, not familiar with your background, could you just give a little bit of a, a background on yourself in general and what got you into the UFO topic? So I grew up in uh, Houston, Texas, went to the Air Force Academy, kind of uh, uh, on a whim almost. Uh, but I also wanted something different for my life. I just uh, I wanted uh, an exciting life, uh, something that challenged me. You know, I kind of felt like a, a little bit of a screw up in high school. So I just wanted some discipline. So I went to the Air Force Academy. Uh, I've always been interested in science, like uh, the nature of what's going on. You know, I grew up in a very religious kind of uh, uh, um, environment. You know, my, my family wasn't religious, but the schools were, you know, everybody went to, everybody went to a church. It was, you know, that was the basic kind of uh, idea and it didn't really sit well with me, you know, it just didn't make sense. Um, and so I was very interested just from a young age in figuring out what is the nature of reality? You know, what are we all doing here? <laughs> and so I guess that kind of drove uh, an adventurous lifestyle. You know, I wanted to, I want to investigate, you know, I, I kind of consider myself an investigator at heart. Just, I want to know things. I don't like when people don't tell me information or I can't find it out. Um, so that, that led me to chemistry and I got a degree in material science. I really like, uh, the nature of things, <laughs> you know, if you keep going down and smaller and smaller, uh, well, you know, what is, what are atoms? And then, and then we find out atoms are actually made up of other particles and, and it just keeps going. Um, so I went through the, made it through the Air Force Academy. You know, it's, it's very difficult. The training was just, uh, intense, you know, just as intense as you can imagine. Uh, the education was exceptional though, very broad as well. I really appreciate that. You know, I took like an astrophysics class, you, you know, you had to take a, or astronautics, had to take an astronautical class. Uh, so a very wide breadth of classes. 
and then went to, uh, after you graduate from the Air Force Academy, the benefit or one benefit of going there besides the free education, uh, it's not free, right? They take it out in blood is, is kind of the saying. Uh, but gra- when you graduate, you can go to pilot training. And so, uh, you know, it's relatively difficult to go to pilot training and you get first pilot slots at the Air Force Academy. Um, so I went to pilot training and, and then that's how I entered my Air Force, Air Force career. Um, is this cool. okay? Am I getting boring? I don't know if I'm talking to you. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So then I uh, entered the Air Force. Uh, I was happy again, happy to graduate. You know, I made it through. Basically, you know, they're like, every day in the Air Force Academy, they're like, yeah, just quit. You know, go ahead, quit. You know? <laughs> Which is, it works perfect for me, you know, to just keep going. Um, so I, I kept going, graduated, and then just had an amazing career. Uh, really, I considered myself... Um, yeah, experienced in F-16s, but not as much as other guys that really just went in to fly. You know, if you if you love flying, which is most of the pilots that I probably worked with, you know, they live to fly. That, that's why they were there. You know, they would get shot at uh, if they could fly. It's really why they're there, you know. Uh, yeah. Not the only reason, obviously, everyone is dedicated officers. Um, but why they got in is usually, you know, as a young age, they, they loved flying, and, and, that's, and that's why they ended up being there. Um, what I really liked about the Air Force or was working with, yeah, extremely dedicated people. You know, you don't get a lot of, there's not a lot of, there is always some backdoor politics and such, but at least in the general sense, everyone's, you know, motivated towards, towards the, the end goal mission. Um, so what I really enjoyed was working with all the other countries. So I really got to live outside the U.S. Uh, and my wife, you know, m- married her. She, she loved to travel as well. Uh, so right immediately I went overseas. So after I did my F-16 training in Phoenix, we went overseas to uh, Korea. That was my first assignment. I actually picked out of a hat, right? There's, there's 12 people in our, in our pilot training class and the assignments drop. That's how the military works, right? Basically you're ranked, okay? They rank everybody always. So numbered ranked, sometimes secret. Uh, and then if you, you put in what you want and the list comes out, you know, the list comes out what's available and then you put in what you want and then they give you based on that rank. Um, so we weren't really ranked at that point. We just drew it out of a hat. And I drew number one. You know, I drew the number one spot. <laughs> uh, so I got first pick and we picked, uh, I picked Korea for one year, South Korea. It's kind of a remote assignment. Everybody has to go in the F-16 community. We're all kind of waiting for this kind of the hammer to fall on your, your Kunsan trip, right? A one-year remote assignment without your families. So I chose that right away, went there for a year, and then went to Italy. Uh, for my next assignment. And after that was really living overseas, which I really enjoyed working uh, overseas uh, and changing stereotypes. I really like changing changing people's stereotypes because um, whatever stereotype they have about me, usually as the Air Force military, when I when I meet them overseas, whatever stereotypes they have, uh, negative or positive about the, about the United States, you know, I have a chance to change that. And I, th- I think I did change a lot of views, um, especially in Turkey. You know, I really, I think I changed a lot of people's views. Uh, they had uh, positive in many ways about America, but then also negative. Um, uh, so went through my career. Uh, final final assignment was in Spain. And at 20 years, you can, you can retire uh, from the military. So I left the military in 2020 and then moved out here to Portugal, started making YouTube videos. Uh, and then I just, uh, I challenged myself to make a YouTube video every week. And back in May... Uh, I, I started making YouTube videos about the UAP phenomenon because I just couldn't take it anymore. You know, basically, I'd, I didn't want to use my fighter pilot background. I didn't want to use that as a springboard for my YouTube, if that makes sense. You know, I wanted mm. to try to make make my own way. 
Um, but then I started making videos about UAPs. I, c- I couldn't help it. Uh, and, and that's where it's taken off from that, from there. That was only in May though, end of June. Um, so we were talking a little bit before, before this, but I'm still very new, still very new. So happy to listen to your podcast. You know, I learned about Eric Davis from your last, your last podcast. So Happy to be here. Sorry if I just talked too long. No, man, that's cool. Talk as long as you want. I'm a rambler, man. I ramble. You know, I watch myself. I'm like, stop rambling. (laughs) No, it's cool. I ramble on. Obviously, you've listened to my podcast. I can talk for hours and hours about stuff. But it's great, man. I like getting that detailed background. Funnily Mm -hmm. enough, I actually, when I was a kid, I actually wanted to be a fighter pilot. Um, I I was on a holiday uh, in the Lake District in the UK, and uh, I was climbing like a hill and saw this um, this jet kind of flew right down through the <clears throat> through the valley. And um, I saw the pilot and waved at him, and he kind of gave me the thumbs up. And it was like, mm. wow, I want to do that. But then basically it turned out that I've got pretty bad eyesight, as you can see, wearing glasses. Mm. And I also get terrible motion sickness. So it probably wasn't meant to be. Um, yeah. But my, my uh, dad's friend, um, my dad's best friend when I was growing up, was actually a fighter pilot as well. So um, what I wanted to ask you is, how would you describe what it's like to actually fly a fighter jet? I mean, I like fast cars and stuff, and I always think when you put mm-hmm. your foot down, it's kind of like a superpower, you know? You just put your foot down and you just shoot from point A to point B. I imagine it must be something similar, but, you know, multiplied by, you know, X amount being a fighter pilot, eh? Um, yeah, so ex- explaining how to actually f- the experience of, of flying a fighter is difficult. Um, and when I got into writing books, it was to try and relate the experience. That's what I found is, is writing books, right? Cause I, I, I wrote a, I wrote a first draft and I'd show it to people and no one, no one liked it. Uh, and what I realized is I wasn't translating the experience, um, to try and translate, to try and put the reader into that location, um, is difficult. You know, what I've tried to think about is it's kind of a combination um, between like, I would say like sailing, uh, or boating, you know, where you can feel the environment, you know, you get pushed by the, the waves, uh, and then driving a a fast car. You mentioned like a, like a a race car. Mm. Uh, they have little racing go-karts around here. I just tried the other day. It looks like a little formula one car. Have you ever tried one of those things? I've actually never done go-karting. No. (laughs) Yeah. The, the, it, it is legitimate. Uh, (laughs) it's, it's legit. I mean, it's very fast. It feels like you're in a race car. Um, the turns, you know, when you turn in a race car, it feels similar to a turn in a, in a fighter jet, you know, and I did miss that. I, I did, I did the race karting, uh, last month and I, it, I, it reminded me of, of being in a fighter, uh, the, the, the acceleration, the, the lateral acceleration, you know, to the left and right. Um, but you have to remember you're up in the air, you know, you're not surrounded by anything. It's like you're mm-hmm. an airliner. So that, that forward and backwards, you know, that you get in a car, that, that pushback in your seat, acceleration, um, it's, it's just a lot smoother and not as rapid in a fighter. So I guess I would try and relate it. Um, but you're always thinking about, you're on a mission, you know. Uh, if I'm ever just flying a fighter around, maybe there's a, a combined total of a whole hour in my life combined where I was able to just fly a fighter around uh, on my own. Um, yeah. And there it's kind of like motion sickness. I get a little bit of that as well. So maybe mm-hmm. I'll add in a little nausea, a lot of noise, uh, and then kind of like turning in a race car and then combine that to you're in a commercial plane that size. And I, I guess that would be the, the experience. 
Cool, cool. It must be a hell of a rush. I was thinking, like, do you do you ever still get the chance to actually fly fighters? I guess once you retire, is that it, or do you ever get the chance? You must miss it, sort of thing. How do you how do you kind of you know replace that adrenaline hit that you must get from from flying with um, those things? For me, it was never adrenaline. It's more like intense. Um stage fright or pressure it, it, honestly doing youtube is is just j- the same amount of of pressure <laughs> i know yeah, yeah i feel just as nervous uh like flying fighters actually flying the jet i wasn't that nervous like when you're in the plane you're you're trained um you know sometimes i'll be like well that was cool you know if i'm at like thirty thousand feet and say i, I see uh, you know i just randomly pick up an enemy down low um you know, in a game essentially. And then I fly, you know, straight down, uh, and do this like amazing, you know, 30,000 foot, um, transition, you know, from 40,000 feet point straight down and then intercept this guy and shoot him. Uh, you know, this is all in training. Um, like during the time I'm just focused on trying to shoot the guy, you know, yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah. I'll have a split second, like, Oh, this is cool. Uh, but no, it's more like afterwards, um, after it happens, then I'll be happy or intent content um, that the it all came together. Like we were able to succeed as a team, um, it, that the tactics worked. You know, the play worked. It's more like uh, playing football. Like um, you know, you have this complicated play. Everyone's supposed to do what they're going to do, and it's to reach. It's to win, right? To to crush someone else. <laughs> so, uh, in that sense, that's that's the the achievement. It's more of an achievement. It's not. You know, that where you see that guy flying by and you're like, oh, that's amazing. Like, he's not thinking, I mean, maybe he's thinking, yeah, this is nice. It's amazing. I get to do this. But it's not like some adrenaline rush as he's flying by. Yeah, I, I guess if that makes sense. It's more of a, we achieved it. We succeeded. Because you fail a lot, you know, and and you're told a lot that, that you suck, right? And you tell yourself a lot that you suck. Everything's recorded. You watch everything on debrief. Uh, and that's where you say, I know immediately the mistakes I made, you know, everyone's watching their own tapes. Um, and the, these students are watching your tapes as the instructor. So as an instructor, you're always hopeful you're not doing something wrong because you have to tell them that they're doing something wrong. Um, so it's, everything's recorded, everything's, you know, scrutinized for the most part and we're hardest people on ourselves. So yeah, I wouldn't say it's adrenaline rush. It's more like uh, you're just stressed out all the time, stage fright, uh, you say the wrong thing. Yeah, so I guess YouTube, uh, it, it feels right. I feel right at home at YouTube, getting yelled at by people and screwing up and being nervous, <laughs> being nervous about going on shows. It, yeah, it's the same. But I did like flying that or driving that race car was was awesome. I, I, that was the uh, the adrenaline that you're talking about. I missed it right when I was doing it. You know, While I was driving the race car, I was like, this is cool. Uh, but I could just drive this, you know, instead yeah, of going yeah. back to fly. So, Cool, man, cool. So, obviously, this is your UFO podcast, so let's get into some UFO stuff. Mm. So, <clears throat> am I right in thinking you've you've personally actually never had a sighting? Still not yet, no. Hopefully, I can say differently in the future. Yeah, so, so have you ever spoken to other pilots who've had sightings? Um, as far as I talked to a few commercial pilots at this, my last, uh, reunion, I went to the air force Academy reunion, uh, two weeks ago and I talked to commercial pilots and they had seen basically three lights on the coast, you know, 40 miles away, three orange lights flying in a circle. And then they all three lights just dispersed. So flew off, you know, basically at speeds that, uh, you, you couldn't, um, couldn't explain. 
so my buddy, he was a pilot. He said that, and it happened again, another five minutes later. He's, um, so I had two stories like that. Uh, but as far as in depth, like military pilots, no, I haven't talked to any active duty pilots. I, I was scheduled to talk with Ryan Graves a couple times. Um, and then it just canceled. He was in hearing. So, you know, I don't know uh, if they're just not talking online. It seems like they're not. Mm-hmm. They're doing, it sounds like, I don't want to give away any information or something, but it sounds like a lot of stuff is going on behind the scenes. So not open source. That's my hope, right? But that's always been the case, right? They're, we're always waiting for them to tell us information, which again, just makes me mad. Like, that's why I'm out there. You know, I don't want to wait. I don't like that they have uh, the information or possibly have the information, and then they're not sharing it with us. Uh, so that's why I've just been focused on trying to get my own, get get real evidence, you know, because we can go talk to whoever we want. Like, look at Nimitz. You know, I was just thinking about Nimitz today, you know. I mean, what else do we need? I, I was going to do this deep dive on, on the Nimitz and go through and look at, <laughs> but what am I going to highlight more, you know? What else are we going to highlight? Like, you know, we have the witness testimonies. They've gone on how many different shows, you know? talking about their, uh, what they saw, <laughs> all the equipment, all the evidence that we can't find now, you know? So it's, I don't know what else I would highlight. It seems like we just need new, more information, you know, if, and if they're not going to give it to us, then I'll just go and get it on my own. Um, but yeah, any pilot, if any pilots want to come and talk to me, I'm happy to listen to them. Um, happy to have them on my show. Yeah. Well, have you thought much about like why it could be that you personally or your colleagues in the military didn't see anything? Like, do you think it might be just the area that you were in or like, you know, the, the certain type of aircraft or something? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it looks like that with the, they came about at least in 2004 from the new radars. So that's mm. the, we had the APG 68. So that's a mechanically scanned older array radar you know it uh it, it it has a circular dome and it mechanically scans back and forth you know that that's how it works so like nimitz already mentioned that what they they were able to see these things with uh the new uh new technology called aces you know actively scanned electronic array radars and and basically that's just digitized uh radar transmission and receiving technology you know so instead of instead of having just one big circular satellite dish, you know, kind of if you imagine satellite dish on your, on your, on your roof, uh, now you have a flat plate of like a thousand little tiny satellite dishes, you know, little digitized satellite dishes. And now you can use digital technology uh, behind it. You can steer the beam. It's new technology. And, and obviously we wanted it in the military. So uh, for those reasons, uh, and I, was, I specialized in electronic attack for jammers. And so we wanted it in jammers as well. Um, it, because obviously for, for many different reasons, you can digitize the signal. Now you can, you can copy it exactly. Uh, so it was really this ASA technology that kind of broke through. Um, and we didn't have ACEs in, in my jet. They were, they were bringing it up. So now in the F-16, uh, and I'm so far out of it now, but they, from what I remember, they would have ACEs being put into us station jets, uh, as of 2018, I think. So there should be actively electronically scanned array radars out there on our frontline fighters, uh, at least in the Air Force now. But you know that being said, like the F thirty five, it came out with a with an ASA, right? The F twenty two, it has an ASA. So we haven't seen any F twenty two data, right? Nothing at all. So have they seen it? Has F twenty two seen anything out there? Um, yeah. 
Uh, the other big points. <clears throat> so technology is one big point. We didn't really have the technology then, but, but I think now we do. Um, the other big point is we just weren't looking for it. You, you know, like I mentioned that, that mission I'm talking about where you go out, you're on that team. Um, you know, you're really, I do sanitize around when, you know, when you're intercepting an enemy fighter, you, with your radar, you search around them, you scan in a search volume around them, right. To make sure there's not two. Okay. Because that this happens all the time is you think there's only one fighter there. You merge on the leader and it's called a Syrian lead turn. You know, you're turning in front of the, of the trail fighter. Um, so we will search in that volume. Okay. But, but if it's not in that volume, if the UAP doesn't happen to be right there, I'm probably not really going to notice it, you know, or it'll, it'll be much harder to notice. Um, cause like with the Nimitz, Kevin Day, he was actually the radar operator in the, in the ship, right. In the Princeton, he pointed out to the fighters, Hey, go and look at this. You know, he basically mm-hmm. gave them a point out. So it was really the ship, like Kevin Day, you know, if Kevin Day didn't say, Hey, Fravor, you know, or, or whatever their fast, fast Eagle, I think something like that. Um, go to this, you know, if he didn't say go to this vector, you know, go check this thing out, then they probably wouldn't have noticed it. Yeah. Yeah. The Nimitz case is kind of what it's all about for me. I mean, that that's like, it was a big kind of, um, you know, point where I turned the corner of taking this subject like way more seriously, that particular case. I think that was actually the first time that we spoke as well, actually. There was a bit of a sort of mini controversy with, you know, Mick West and, and yourself and, and Mick ended up um, quoting my tweet on Twitter and then there was a whole thing that sort of came about. And it was a lot to do with the the object on the FLIR video from the Nimitz case as to whether or not it did actually rapidly accelerate at the end of the video clip. So do you have any kind of up-to-date thoughts on on that as to whether or not that object actually did accelerate rapidly or whether it was just a co- caused by like the loss of the, the lock on the, on the system? Yeah, I guess the, I haven't changed or updated anything saying it's inconclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically what I came out with. Um, yeah, based on the yeah the angles, how it's how it's moving, I think actually Mick West at least has an argument there that uh, it it's not in, uh, inconclusive that it did this crazy acceleration. That that's what I came up with is that it, it could stop. You know, you do get those weird effects uh, if your part if your targeting lot breaks lock. That happened to me. Um, you know, I, I lost a convoy in Iraq. I remember on my first combat mission. Uh, is basically your targeting pod. If it if it locks onto something else, <laughs> it, it just locks onto something. It will just point at, you know, what it's looking at. And if and so it, that can happen, where it just breaks lock. That being said, it's it's very weird. It happened at, at that at that time and right at that, uh, you know, right right as they're supposedly going to go and merge with this thing. Or I don't know. It, it seemed like it shouldn't have broken lock at that point. But that being said, you know, the switches get, get loose, you know, I've, I've accidentally, I don't actually know in the F-18 where the brake lock switch is, but the F-16 brake lock switch, it's kind of easy to hit it. Not in every jet, but it, it can slide off, you know, th- things happen all the time. Um, and that's, you know, the pilot is there. We're very adaptable. You know, I think that's why you'll continue to have humans in the loop for, for many years to come is we're just adaptable. So when, when weird things happen, you, you know, what I would expect is once that brake lock happened is he would just, you know, zoom out again 
and then and then try and relock. And so mm. the fact that he that he couldn't do that, and and you know, I talked in in Chad Underwood, he was the Wizzo, you know, operating the sensor. You know, the fact that he said it was gone that that's what's really weird to me. So if you know, they ended the video. We don't actually ha- see the video past that point at any time, but. Imagine if you, I imagine if I saw the next 10 seconds, it would be him, you know, zooming out, you know, if you imagine looking at the whole sky area around there, and then this thing just being gone, essentially. So that's, that's really the weird effect. And, and how did that happen? You know, where did it go? <laughs> you know, did, did it zoom out of the, did it, did it fly away very fast, which is what uh, Underwood and the pilot, I believe, um, what they proposed, or, um, or did it go stealth or something else uh, we don't know about? Mm. Yeah, that's the frustrating thing, isn't it? Because there's no way that that video just ended there, whether it accelerated off or whether they broke lock. There's no way they just went, oh, well, never mind, let's just go then. They've, they've obviously, you know, must have looked into it further, whatever it was, whether it was accelerating away really fast or whether it broke lock. There must have been more to that clip. Um, and obviously there's the, the, there's the radar data as well, which we're probably never going to see, or at least for the foreseeable future. And if we could see all of all of that, then the, the picture would be a lot clearer, wouldn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. Because they turn their tapes on on the ground. You know, we, we film, like I said, everything's filmed. So as soon as I start the plane, I, I start the tapes on. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm, talk, I'm talking into the tape. Okay, today is this date. You know, here's my weapon loadout. Here's the systems. Um, and, and then again, so you can see if you made mistakes, right? So I can tell if I made mistakes, we can go back and be like, okay, maybe I plugged that in wrong or something. And then we go, we go and review it. So hundred percent, the, the tape existed originally, but then it's, what did they do with it? You know, it's been 17 years and it wasn't so easy to move data back in the day. You know, we can't use USBs in the military, right? So USBs are outlawed. (laughs) So like moving large data is actually a pain in the ass. Maybe not today, right? We've gotten kind of through that point, but 100% 2004, you know, I think just the size of the file would have made it difficult if you if you go longer and, and they're not going to waste uh, senior leaders' time. So I, I think that clip, uh, it, from my understanding or my guess, I guess, speculation, is that it was cut short to put it into like a, a senior leader kind of brief. You mm-hmm. know, they only have five, we have five minutes to brief this guy, maybe less. Uh, here's the video here's the clip. And, and so that's what kind of survived as I see. I don't, I don't know if it was like nefariously cut short or anything. Um, so it could be these, these other effects, which again, I'm just like, let's get our own evidence, <laughs> you know, but I do, if that video exists, it would be amazing to be able to see that. Uh, and it would be nice to see people that are, that have the classification that we trust that could go and look at the radar and say, okay, let's analyze this. Um, you know, if they have the classifications to look at it, they can explain it to us. Um, yeah, definitely. I, th- I think the, the the most compelling thing that sort of suggests that it did rapidly accelerate is actually not the footage itself, but the multitude of you know other witnesses that that actually saw it on radar and said that they saw it shooting off. And I think um, there was various people have said that they saw it just kind of shooting across the screen and it was gone. So that would seem to back up the fact that it did rapidly accelerate, but without actually seeing that radar data or that footage yourself you just can't say for sure can you but i mean for me with the nimitz case the the only explanation i can think of as to how it could you know not be a genuine uap is that all of those guys have got together and decided to actually 
formulate a hoax, which I just can't imagine is going to be the case because you've got so many people. There's no way they could all keep to the same story. And I just don't think, you know, that that level of corruption is particularly realistic that it could happen. You know, it's it's such a, a reach to suggest that that might be what it, what it is. It seems more logical to assume that it actually was a genuine UAP that was doing things that we can't explain. You know, it's... Um, yeah, remains one of the or probably the most fascinating UFO case for me personally. Just the the sheer amount of different credible witnesses and everything. Yeah, you said exactly, and that's what brought me into it. it kind of that was the Lex Fridman interview with uh, with David Fravor. I saw that, you know, and it changed my mind. It changed my mentality. I saw that uh, in December of last year, but I didn't really change anything. You know, for like a week, I kind of walked around like looking up more and in kind of a daze, to be honest, like. Uh, but then it went away. I was like, okay, go back to normal life. Like, okay, maybe I'm just imagining things or I don't know. You're like, you just, you imagine it or it doesn't, it's not important anymore. And then, uh, but then, yeah, you, you look back on it, the 60 minutes came out and then it wasn't just flavor there. It was Dietrich, right? Oh, there's somebody else, (laughs) you know, that was there. Uh, and they all, and she corroborates it. And you know, why would she lie? She has no reason to lie. Uh, and then slate, you know, and then and then I just started looking into it more. And once you start looking, it, I just couldn't look away. Um, but I don't know how to. I'm thinking how I can help the most. You know, is it is it analyzed more? I don't think there's more an- analysis that that can be done. You know, I, mm. I was I was thinking maybe I get a hold of Fravor uh, and do an interview with him, or or maybe uh, you know Dietrich. But I've watched all their interviews. You know, I, I honestly don't know what other what other questions I would ask about this event from 17 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But like you said, it's it, yeah, it's just so compelling. All of the data, you know, there's just so much information. So I don't know. Maybe I just keep bringing it up, kind of bringing it up once in a while to videos or making points related back to it. But I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like you say. I think with what's on the table at the moment in terms of evidence and data for that particular case and all the witness testimonies, it's kind of been gone over and gone over by this point, hasn't it? There's also I don't know if you've seen the uh, the video that Alpha Check did um, if, on the uh, you know analysis of the Nimitz case in general. That's an amazing um, analysis of of exactly what happened point by point. I think he's done a, about two or three actually by this point. So yeah, anybody listening who, who wants to hear some, some more analysis on that, obviously Chris, you know, you've got loads of really good analysis of that case on your channel and alpha checks one as well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's some great info. I, I on did that. get a head tracker though. I, I finally, I got, I bought the equipment. So alpha check. Uh, yeah. He has great videos. Um, he has all the equipment, you know, so it looks, it looks cool, but I have a head tracker now. Uh, I'm I'm fighting through the software to get it set up. So that would be th- what I can do is is basically do the engagement. I'm considering just reenacting the engagement uh, of where Fravor, uh, you know, from Diedrich's perspective, maybe how she how she, what she would see of Fravor flying down there and, and possibly relate it. So hopefully, we can get some cooler videos out there if people people want it. Yeah, that'd be great, man. I look forward to seeing them as and when you do them. So. What type of UFO would you be most interested to see if you could actually choose one? I mean, there's the there's the things like the orbs, the saucers, the Tic Tacs, obviously, as seen in the, the Nimitz case, the triangles, the boomerangs. Do you have kind of like a particular type of, of UFO or a UAP that you find the most intriguing? I like the giant ones. You know, the bigger, the better. You know, like uh, <laughs> yeah. 400 feet. You know, I want the biggest giantest 
silent ship possible. Uh, that would be just amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, could you imagine seeing like a mountain size, you know, a building size thing just sitting there? Um, yeah, just it must be uh, unbelievable. Yeah, I think I'm the same. I've always been, I've never seen a UFO personally. I've always wanted to kind of looking at the skies whenever I get an opportunity to just hope one comes into view. But yeah, for me, it's all about the triangles or the boomerangs, you know, the huge black triangle flying through the sky, something really menacing about that. Have you what, have you looked into the Turkish case? I, I'm uh, again. I have so many kind of ideas on where to go, but Kurumbas. Uh, have you looked into that case? The Turkey one is that the one where it's um, you can kind of just about see some some occupants in the in in the actual video. They, they say that yeah, but you see basically a, a giant, you know, a silver looks like a boomerang ship. You know. Did yeah, you, did, you remember that one. I, th I think if if we're talking about the same one, I have seen yeah. people explaining it as it could potentially be the front of a cruise ship. It's kind of like um, I'm I'm not exact. I've not looked into it that much to know yeah. for sure, but I think there was somebody had actually found like an image of this particular cruise ship and said that it's it's very similar to the you know the shape of the the windows at the front and the the occupants inside could be um, potentially just people on a cruise. But obviously, without looking into it you know much further i can't say for sure um but it's one of them it, it, it could be a, a, you know a coincidence that it looks a little bit like that window and it could be a genuine you know ufo so difficult oh, cool. to say okay. yeah it's a uh, 2008 i think uh that well if you haven't heard of it then I, I think i will cover it you know because that shows it's not in the general uh, general consensus i guess how tied in are you to the ufo uh <laughs> Well, I'm I, I'm kind of relatively new to the the whole world, really. You know, a bit like yourself, I guess. Ever since 2017, that that's kind of what I've always been interested in in UFOs. Or who's not? You know, like when you're a kid, everyone likes the idea of of aliens and UFOs and things. But I never really kind of dived in fully until what happened around 2017, and and then over the last few years, I've kind of been digging in further and further. So. I try to go through cases as thoroughly as I can. So the Nimitz one obviously was like, you know, something that I looked into quite a lot, done quite a few hours of research and done a few episodes on the podcast. But I try to go through each case as thoroughly as I can to try and make a, an informed opinion before I moved on to the next one. So I'm slowly working my way through all of the uh, the cases that are out there, you know, probably similar to yourself. The same, yeah. And there's so many, right? That's what's mind-blowing is... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just so many. It, it, and then the whole, it's kind of disheartening, though, because you look at Bob Salas, right? He's been doing it for 25 years. That's why I was so fired up in my last video. I, uh, you know, I was cussing at the government. So, uh, <laughs> it's just like, uh, it, you know, he's been doing it for 25 years. He seems very credible, uh, respectable. There's many different officers that are bringing their points, you know, witness testimony. Uh, and, and they just haven't listened to him, you know? Just, that's why I can believe it. Yeah, yeah. The, the Robert Salas one's uh, pretty fascinating. I was watching his uh, his press conference that he did a little while ago, and um, yeah, some some other the witnesses that he had on there as well was really interesting. I don't know if you caught the press conference. Um, yeah, I did. Uh, my video I did last week was all on, on the press conference. Um, just, I just covered the the final parts of it, but yeah, I covered that uh, press conference. I watched it and kind of. Yeah, I was I was fired up. You know, I basically called the Air Force out on it. Uh, so we'll see what happens in the video. Uh, but my video got it got a lot of positive response. Actually, you know, it's 
I'm always nervous posting stuff, especially when I'm, you know, like yelling or cursing or anything. <laughs> like you mentioned already, these Twitter debates. Like you, I, d- I don't want to get into Twitter debates. Or you mentioned it on your last your last podcast. Mm. Um, but it, it, like you mentioned also, is that we are all, all just people. We're just normal people. Like you said, you just started. Like I just started. Uh, and we, you know, you mentioned in the last podcast as well about John Greenwald. You know, we hold him to we put these people on up on pedestals, but and we're all just people, <laughs> you know. So same thing. I'm trying to catch up as well, um, and that's I, I like that Kurt uh event. Yeah, man. Yeah, I think it's just a case of like I, I actually do debate people on on twitter like skeptics and stuff and like i say obviously one of the first times we spoke was i was debating with mick west and i just made a conscious decision when i got onto twitter and started the podcast to to debate people you know because i want to challenge my own conclusions on things but to never try and or at least try to never insult people you know so like even if i totally disagree with somebody I, i won't be insulting or anything but you know have the debate without resorting to you know kind of getting getting nasty and things like that you know because at the end of the day we're all like you say we're all just people we're all trying to figure this thing out and at the end of the day it affects everybody in the world doesn't it if this actually turns out to be something not of this world but um, yeah, that's the key it really will be paradigm shifting i mean without a doubt yeah so another thing i wanted to ask you about is um your theory of everything video that you did um yes really really enjoyed it man you did excellent man thank you yeah i found it fascinating the uh, the physics and everything like that is something um that blows my mind but i don't really always understand it fully because it's pretty complex (laughs) you know i think most most people probably would would be in the same boat um it's kind of hard to briefly summarize the the theory that you're talking about there and but maybe you could give it a try if you don't mind you'll probably be able to explain it a lot better than i could yes uh well first i guess i'd like to just say you mentioned about um it's complicated you know people don't you don't understand it but i i think even if you look in our in our current society is um people they 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 have to focus down you know these things are so complicated you could talk to a quantum physicist i think he'll understand you know, more, much more than your average person in that little sliver of information, you know, in this quantum realm. But then he, again, we're all just people, right? He can't know everything. So I, I don't think you're, I think everyone is like you and me where we can't know everything, right? But we can be focused uh, in, in certain areas. So uh, anyway, uh, as far as as far as the theory, the basic theory is... <laughs> Uh, that we're made up of larger, we make up larger organisms, just like we are made up of smaller organisms, if that makes sense. So I relate to the beginning of the theory about uh, the Copernican problem. So Copernicus, he wasn't the problem, really. He, he was more of a solution. But before Copernicus, all right, uh, everyone assumed that the Earth was the center of the universe, Right, rightfully so. That was our only really uh, perspective. But then, as we gathered more evidence, more evidence, more evidence, right? What they realized is, you know, some of these orbits aren't matching. Um, and so he came up with the uh, heliocentric model, right, where the sun is actually uh, the center of of our solar system. At that point, at that time, was the universe. Uh, and and you know, as we know from history, is it didn't change right away. It took a few hundred years uh, for people to really uh, get on board with the theory to to gather enough evidence. Um, so from that point is, do we 
I argue that that's still the problem, right? We still think we're the top of the life food chain. You know, even though you're made up of billions and billions of little cells uh, that live and die and run their own little, uh, you know, make up the parts of your body, um, to me, it seems pretty obvious. <laughs> I don't know. It seems obvious that we make up a much larger organism uh, at different levels, right? You're a part of a uh, maybe like a football team that you play with, right? You're a part of that little team. Right? So that's a little organism or you're, you uh, volunteer at a group, right? You're part of a UFO group, uh, but really it's, you're also required, right? You're, you're, when you were born, you're, you're required to get a uh, social security number in the U.S. anyway, whatever identification number you need in your country. But um, most countries, I believe, have a identification number. So as soon as you're born, man, you're property of the government, essentially, right? If you want to leave, uh, there's some issues with that, right? You can't just leave. You need a passport and you go to another country. They're not just going to let you in, right? You got to show your number. Um, so I don't know. It, it seems like there's many analogies. And I, it, growing up, I just kind of saw this as, you know, why do I have to go to school? <laughs> you know, from the first thing, go to school. I'm like, I don't want to go to school, you know, and then thinking while I'm at school, why do I have to be here uh, over, over so many years? Um, so I think we are part of a larger organism. Uh, if you imagine the roads, uh, basically are how we is like your blood vessels, uh, your militaries, like your, uh, your, you know, the claws or the teeth, uh, you, we, we produce countries produce waste, right? You produce large amounts of waste. Uh, they use resources, right? Resources, uh, from the earth, et cetera. They have a brain, you know, we have our Congress. Um, so basically that, that, that's the argument is if you look down in size levels in our body, uh, you see different levels of life, different, uh, different physics for each level. And then uh, my argument is if we look up, that's what we're seeing as well. So when we, when our physicists or astronomers look out in the universe and they see more order than they're expecting right now, the, the dark, dark matter, dark, dark energy argument is that, uh, there needs to be 90% more gravity or 85% more stuff out there and we can't see it. So it must be invisible to us. So that's where the dark matter X variable comes in. Um, so my argument would be that Actually, what we're seeing is uh, just life ordering, uh, actually ordering the universe. So I guess to sum it all up, uh, right now when we look out at the universe, we ass the assumption is there is no life, right? If, if, you, if you think about it, we look out and we say, uh, we haven't detected any life, so it does not exist. Um, but all this movement that we're seeing, all this additional order out there, we, we can't account for. So my, my theory is when we look up, why don't we assume, take the opposite approach, assume that all we're seeing is life actually, you know? Um, and so does that change the equation? And I, and I think it could. So. Yeah. It's, it's, I found it really interesting when you were saying about dimensions and like, you know, there's often in the UF, UFO world, there's kind of this talk of like, you know, UAP could be some life from another dimension. And you were saying in, in that video about like, life exists on a, a much much smaller dimensional level to what humans exist on it's like bacteria and you know things like that and and then as you scale that up you get to our level which is you know the human level which is kind of what we assume is a standard kind of baseline because that's what we exist on but then there actually could be life at a much bigger dimensional level than us as well is is that kind of what you were getting at yes 100 percent yeah, it's, it's basically, and, and then when you mentioned the sizes, right? Um, uh, dimensions, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I would think of it as dimensions. Uh, and we what we see is the size, 
But if you imagine, you think of the quantum realm, you know, I, I, I always think of Ant-Man, the movie. I love that movie. Ant-Man is amazing. Um, but if you think of the quantum realm, uh, it really is another dimension, right? I mean, it, the, the physical properties are different. There's no way we could get there. Um, you know, so if, when Ant-Man, when he shrinks himself, I think he is going into another dimension. Hmm. And so the question is, is that even, is it possible, <laughs> you know? Uh, and could you go the other way? Could you make some, could we somehow expand? Um, and, and so that got me thinking on maybe what we're, we just seeing it as size and dimensions because physically as humans, this is how we um, perceive the universe. You know, we perceive it in this way. But if you look at like a cell in your body, it doesn't perceive the universe that way at all. You know, it, it all it knows is, is a uh, feel, right? That's its only perception sense uh, is feel. So it has no idea of the size or the immensity of the, of the galaxy. You know, it has no eyes to, to look. Um, there was an interesting, uh, I've been working with Alexei Novitsky. He, he uh, artisan Tony, this other YouTuber introduced me to this guy, Alexei. He has all these kind of, uh, Definitely outside the box, uh, crazy, uh, I consider it uh, different theories, if you will. But it seems to overlap w with, with my theories. Um, and he has some interesting arguments. And so one of them, he's talking about perceptions. Uh, and if you think about our uh, evolution, right? So at the beginning, we had no, uh, the only perception was feel, right? So before you have uh, ears or eyes, right? The bi whatever bacteria. They can just tell if there's a wall there or not, right? So that's that's their thing. They can tell wall or not. Uh, so that's their understanding of the universe, right? And then you, they devel we developed ears, right? Or whatever <laughs> animals uh, did. And so from there, you can tell Doppler shift, right? So now you can tell movement, uh, essentially. You can tell if something's going away from you. So maybe I can, you get some idea of the size uh, initially, but then we develop sight, and then from sight now, we can determine actual large distances. And that's where we really, we've able to figure out that um, the universe is just so big, you know, or if we look so small now, we can determine there's so many more trillions of <laughs> things in this little, you know, there shouldn't be. Um, and, and so the question is, is there another level? You know, are, are, we, are we going to pass sight? Is there some other perception of the universe that will open up some new ideas for us or, or a new world. Um, yeah. And, and so that, that was one thought on that. Uh, the other thought he had, which is very interesting is about vibrations. So again, we, we see these dimensions as, as we can't get there, right? It, it is another dimension. If you think about the outer universe, man, it's another dimension. It's just so big. It, you know, if you watch any YouTube video on the universe, uh, it's, it's mind blowing, right? So I think of it as it is another dimension. We're just we're now able to see um, into these other dimensions. Uh, but uh, based on Alexa's thing and kind of what I've looked into is we don't actually touch each other, right? If you look, you never actually really touch anything. <laughs> so it's mm -hmm. it's all uh, concepts and ideas that, like you mentioned, no one person I think could even understand all of it related. So really, we're trying to get like this person knows like this much about quantum physics uh, in that direction. And we're trying to relate those things um, together. So, you know, to sum up this, this kind of this uh, rambling point is, could it be vibrational level? Uh, could there be a way to actually change the vibrations and move in between these dimensions, essentially, 
you know, to, ch to change your vibrational baseline, if you will, to become super small, you know, is Ant-Man possible? Could you go super small like Ant-Man and could we go super big? Uh, and if not, you know, maybe we can't physically go there, but could you open a window essentially, you know, like maybe that's what these orbs are. If you look at these orbs, just a ball, um, maybe we can open some, a portal, if you will, uh, of just to see, to see into these things, to experience. And that's what Alexei is, is proposing is that we can, <laughs> he has this, this, uh, this, uh, this thing we're going to build. So we'll see. I, I don't want to give it, I'm not going to give too much away, but we're going to build something and it may do something. It may do nothing, uh, but it'll be, it'll be fun either way. It sounds exciting, man. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, going back to that first point you were mentioning there about, um, you know, different senses kind of opening up as, as a species evolves. Um, something I've been talking about on the podcast quite a lot is the, these new types of technologies that we're seeing um, being developed at the moment, such as like Neuralink and things like that. Mm -hmm. And when there's actually experiments been done as well, I forget the name of the scientist who did it. I'm terrible at remembering names and stuff. But this particular um, experiment was where they got these rats and they'd managed to actually place these these like uh, electrodes directly into the brains of these five rats and allowed those brains to actually be linked up into you know one consciousness and cool. so like one rat gets a treat and the other rat feels happy you know sort of thing even though it's not actually had and i was thinking with with Neuralink, uh, you know potentially you could be looking at literally a, a conjoined consciousness of multiple human beings and not only that that another experiment that was done with the with the same rats was um they actually i think it was x-rays um they actually managed to put a little probe into the 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 rat's brain so that it could actually sense x-rays which is obviously not something that a, a, a rat mm. would normally be able to sense and it just made me think that apparently the brain is is quite readily available to take in new sensory inputs and when you have something like Neuralink you could potentially you know manually add in new sensory inputs you like you said we've got you know the, the the typical five senses and then you could actually add in as many as you want and think about how that would <laughs> change human beings perception of the universe that we live in you know you can just choose what senses you want you know you might be able to detect all of these different you know different waves that humans can't currently detect you know how do you think that's going to change our perception of the universe we live in as, as things like that start to become available yeah i think i think Neuralink's going to be huge i've been following it I, not i haven't been following it too closely this last year because i've been in just uap uh you know drowning in uap stuff but i was very excited about it you know i made a video about it uh when i started making youtube videos and i just like you said i think it's going to be a huge change because up until now we really don't have any idea what's going on in the brain. You know, I kind of relate it or I thought of it as a, an analogy um, is if you think of it like a computer, right? The computer you're uh, using right now, I think psychology is like me telling you how to use the computer, right? You're using the operating system, you know, I, like, uh, oh, Frank, you're, you're having this issue. Okay, you know, go try to use this app, right? Or, or try and, you know, go into the registry or something like that. Um, I think of it like like that. We're using a system, but you don't actually. You look at the computer; it's just this white box, <laughs> you know, or whatever whatever your computer color is. Yeah. Uh, and you can listen to it on the outside, and you can look at it. Um, but actually, how it's actually doing the coding is is still locked, at least on your and my levels, right? I'm sure Microsoft, the technicians in there, 
some of them will know certain parts of this section, you know, but I, I, again, again, I think no one person, I'm sure of it, understands actually how Windows actually works. You know, phys- you know, every little point, it's all conglomeration uh, of people. So up until now, I think we just, we have the box of the brain, you know, and we're like, we hear stuff going on. <laughs> we like, we see some lights, you know, oh, some lights came on, you know, on the outside there. Uh, you know, when I tap here, lights come on there, you know, or think of a cat, you know, uh, and then, oh, this lights up over here. So it's very like you and me, just kind of two monkeys, if you can imagine, looking at the outside of a computer and like hitting it, you know, mm-hmm. or poking it, poking it with knives and stuff. That's basically what we've done with the brain until Neuralink. So I think this will be the first time we really have, like, like you kind of mentioned, is real is real feedback. Um, and I, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna change a lot. I think it's gonna change a lot. Um, will it bring us to con- will we figure out what consciousness is? I, I don't know. I, I think it'll get us a lot closer, 100%. That technology, and then the big one I just thought about uh, or saw from John Ramirez. He was a CIA, uh, he's retired CIA officer. I don't know if you saw that. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think this week's video I'm making my uh, 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 release tomorrow will be on just my initial impressions on, on John Ramirez. He sounds legit to me, you know, just from my military. I don't know anything else about him besides his interview his interview that he did, but everything he says sounds uh, legitimate. And I didn't know about NGO. Uh, I was, uh, you know, surprised to hear that. Uh, but what he mentioned was the James Webb space telescope, that that's going to be a big breakthrough. And that's why there, he said it's like a dissemination program because once the JWST goes up there, I don't know, I guess we're going to point it somewhere and it's going to be mind blowingly obvious. Uh, that would be like, you know, one of the hopeful things to happen. Because I've been pumped for the James Webb Space Telescope since 2015. You know, it was supposed to come out. It was going to, it looks an IR. So that's the big thing. It's it's giant, right? If you don't know about JWST, it's like, I don't know, six times bigger than Hubble. It mm-hmm. folds out and it's like sweet, uh, I don't know, it's like bigger than a, ten- a tennis court. Uh, and then it's sitting on the Lagrange 2 point. So it's on the other side of the moon, I believe. It's far away very far away and it's so it's cooled it's able to be uh it's got this big shade on it uh, and the reason it's way over there is so it's can, it can be really cold right because the colder you can get this ir sensor the better so it's gonna be this you know giant ass ir sensor out in space cooled super cooled i was very excited because the problem is uh the redshift right when you're looking deep into or back in time as the astronomers say it uh the problem is we're, we're getting red shifted out stuff stuff is disappearing because it, it uh, due to Doppler effect for uh, whatever reason it's it slows down uh, and now we can't see it right but if we're in IR the the frequency that we're looking in uh, we should actually be able to see further back into time and then supposedly they're gonna prove the big bang which I'm, I'm very doubtful that they're ever gonna prove this this thing happens so Anyway, those two texts, Neuralink for sure is going to change consciousness. And then JWST, man, what's going to happen with that? Why has it been delayed for freaking six years? Like, what is going on, man? Sorry if you know. Yeah, no, it'd be fascinating to see, you know, what, what comes of that. But yeah, it's like even the um, the infrared thing. I mean, like, um, that's that's the, the FLIR, isn't it? It uses infrared, you know, technology. Yes. And the, the object, I believe, was only actually visible in in infrared it was actually not visible to the naked eye when when uh, chad underwood actually um encountered it i think fravor saw it with the naked eye but i don't think um underwood did 
Um, and there's there's been a few others uh, UAP videos as well where people have said the same thing. It's not visible actually to the naked eye, but when you look at it through a FLIR. And imagine with something like Neuralink, if you could actually add another sense, which is mm. being able to detect infrared, you could just walk around the place looking at everything with that as an extra sensory input, and it would completely change the whole game in terms of observing these things, wouldn't it? Yes, completely. Uh, yeah, I didn't even think of that, you know, put in uh, IR... But you could, right? And if you think about it now, we are we're already cyborgs. Um, you know that's yeah. Elon's argument um, is that you're already cyborg. You know, if you leave your phone at home or your phone runs out of batteries, essentially you're probably fifty percent dumber. You know, maybe even more. You know, you mentioned yeah. names, right? But you don't really have to remember names because we can just look it up or we can just save it on your phone. So I think what you'll see is now that that phone, I won't even have to carry it around. I can just plug it into my head <laughs> right exactly <laughs> which yeah with new sensors and like you mentioned new sensors new eye sensors i mean it's just gonna be it's gonna be a crazy world yeah i, I feel bad actually for uh, for the people if you're very tied to old ways of living um if you're very conservative i feel bad because it, it is going to change quickly you know and, and mm. me i'm i'm pumped man i i love it you know whatever you want to upload me <laughs> upload my brain and i get to fly in a spaceship and you know go explore the universe like sign me up you know uh but i think I, i'm you know maybe not along the, i don't know it's other people have different views i think yeah i i'm embracing the new the new changes man i can't wait but it is something that made me um think about all of that side of things that all of the the aspects of reality that humans don't actually currently have the ability to sense at all was um you get these devices i don't know if you have them where where you live but you know if you've got cats going into your garden you can get this little device which is a battery device you put it in your garden and it emits like a really really high frequency noise and most people can't hear the noise but cats can so cats can hear, you know, a higher uh, amount of frequency range to what humans can. So the cats find this noise really horrible and they obviously don't go into your garden when you've got this device there. It just so happens, I don't know, I'm not saying I'm superhuman or anything, but I can hear them. <laughs> so um, I don't know if it's just because I've done music a lot, you know, throughout my life and my ears are sort of like, you know, tuned to it a bit different. I don't know, but it's, those things are really painful for my ears. But it, it just made me think like, Again, so you could add the with Neuralink, you could add in things like infrared to give yourself another sensory input, and you could broaden the amount of sound frequency that you can actually pick up as well. So you could go way lower in terms of really low frequencies and really, really high. And who knows what things are going on in those frequencies that we currently can't even detect? You know, all of a sudden you plug all these new sensors in and you can pick up all this infrared, you can all these different sound frequencies. It really could change the way that we, we, you know, perceive the reality that we live in. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, once you open up the, once the brain is plug and playable, you know, you're going to open up the same sort of software flexibilities for a computer that you that you could for a brain. Ultimately, you know. Yeah. And that will that'll go to deep questions on what what it means to be human. You know, what what are you going to allow into your brain? Essentially, yeah. you know, I think it's still decades away, but maybe I think it's closer than people probably realize yeah. um, because the information age is finally going. You know, I think it's finally moving 
where we have you and me talking together, right? That's a web 3.0. Um, so the web 1.0, it was like dial up, you know, you go there and you get information, you know, where is this restaurant located? Uh, but web 2.0, uh, I think that's what we're doing right now is basically we're, you link neurons uh, in the network. So I'm linked directly to you. Uh, we're talking right through this YouTube, but there's really no medium in between us stopping us, you know, from, from doing this. Um, and then web 3.0 will actually be that it's the next stage supposedly. And that'll be blockchain technology with, uh, artificial intelligence overlaid. Um, so that'll be, yeah. And, and so I think what'll happen is it will actually increase in innovation as, as we're seeing now, um, you know, everybody's surprised by the, like, you know, the vaccine rollout, I hate to bring out such a controversial topic. Um, but that's RNA technology. It is new technology that we had been developing. So, you know, in the past, it took 20 years to develop a vaccine. But now with RNA technology, it is, it's, we digitized it. So now you could, uh, we can, with we have the technology um, to make a, 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 you know, safe vaccine in a couple of years. You know, I think this has surprised a lot of people. You know, they're, they're just not, you. they're going to be very surprised by the rate of technological uh, innovation. And, and I think what you mentioned is we just, we always think that we know everything, right? Humans think we know everything. It's always been the case. I, I think it's just, that, that's how we're built. Uh, we have to start from somewhere. If you look at even how our brains are, are how they actually, the neurons fire, uh, it starts from an anchor. There's actually an anchor point. Uh, where it starts. So y y your thoughts have to actually start somewhere. You have to start from a perspective. Um, you know, your perspective on the universe starts from you. <laughs> uh, so I think that's that's kind of it. We we assume that we know everything. It's the Copernicus problem. And we just, we always think that, <laughs> that like, we don't think that we know everything, but we, we always think that we know everything. It's It just continues in the future. Uh, yeah. Undoubtedly, yeah. they're censored. You, undoubtedly what you just said is true right undoubtedly there's undoubtedly other things we can't sense as humans you, you just mentioned it low sounds high sounds you know just, that's just sounds mm -hmm. but now you look at your other perceptions you mentioned sight right there's undoubtedly we can't see uh at night right we can't see in the infrared spectrum uh you know we we see in the optical spectrum so there's undoubtedly there is information outside of our senses we just assume, we continue to assume that <laughs> there's not, right? We assume that there's not. That's it. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like bats, you know, bats can detect, I, I forget, again, the numbers escape me, but it's something ridiculous. Like humans can hear up to about 22 kilohertz and bats goes up to something like 120 kilohertz. It's just like way, way outside of the realms of human perception, you know, and it makes me think what's going to happen to human brains when all of a sudden we can take in all of this new information. It's like you said, with any new technology, there comes kind of a, a dilemma of like, you know, how do we adjust to this new technology and how is it going to change our lives and the way that we interact with each other? And I think things like Neuralink are pretty much inevitable at this point. And the whole existence of what a human being classes as, you know, reality is going to change. But um, one thing you were you were mentioning just there, uh, I was going to talk to you about was you know the anchor point of your consciousness. Hmm. I was thinking, going back to your theory of everything, you know the way that a human being actually develops, like you start off as this kind of like this little tiny sperm cell sort of thing, 
And that essentially exists in one of those much smaller dimensional levels. Yes. But it, it is the anchor point. And it's almost like, I was thinking about this after listening to your video, the human body is almost like a device to actually change dimensional levels from that initial anchor point of consciousness and then actually grow that up into a different dimensional level. So it's almost like the human body is a, 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 a way of traveling through different dimensions in a way you know you start off as this tiny little anchor point which is not visible to the naked eye and over time the human body actually brings you up to a different a different dimensional level that kind of blew my mind that yes that, that no that bit. that's a great way to say it man and and just uh i would say don't stop at the human body that's the problem that's the i think you're 100 percent accurate just keep going um, because I think it will keep going up. You know, it's just we stop at us because we always stop. <laughs> we always stop at us, man. We think, yeah, yeah. We think we're everything there is. Um, but if you just continue that same thought, is to keep going up, is so that the U.S. or or UK and your that w- that is the next dimensional level, and then the next dimensional level could be what we can't see yet. Um, yeah, the Earth could be the next dimensional level. Um, yeah, that's a great way to think of it. Like you just mentioned, uh, thanks. That's cool. Yeah, man. No, are you okay for time? I've just there was a couple. Yeah, of I have plenty things. of time. Yeah, no worries. Cool, man. Yeah. So another thing related to that same thing you mentioned about it going up in dimensional levels. Like, have you thought much about if some life exists on a way bigger dimensional level than what humans are on? It, it, you know, like we talk about nanobots and things like that, like tiny little robots that we can put into the human body in order to observe certain things. And what if there's some kind of really, really big, you know, life form on a on a way bigger dimensional level than us, and they've created some kind of nanobot type of observation device, which they're then putting down into our <laughs> level? Have you, have you thought much about? That's a great like idea. That? I, I, not as uh, eloquently, I guess, as you just put it, you know. Um, th- but that was kind of my my speculation for UAPs is uh, a control mechanism. Just like in your body, you have uh, ways to, to keep it in line, you know, keep it in temperature. Just like in the U.S. or or you know, in your country, there's police, there's healthcare, you know, there's there's road workers. They keep everything kind of working, you know. Um, so that was kind of my speculation on the UAPs is they would be a similar, they would fill a similar role, but it could definitely be from the, from the higher dimensional level. So I think I give an example in my, in my video of if you get arrested, right, you get arrested by the city police, you know, you, whatever you have unpaid traffic tickets, uh, the, you know, a police officer from the city is going to come and arrest you uh, essentially, or, you know, whatever, give you a ticket. Uh, but they're going to from the dimensional level of the city, they're going to affect you. Uh, they'll look like humans, right? But they're humans. It's not just regular humans, right? It's humans in a uniform with a badge, right? So they have a role. So they're filling that role. So th- that's what I related it as was um, part of the system, UAPs. But you bring up a great point is these interdimensional. So we talked about a lot of people with the, I don't know, abductee accounts. They mentioned interdimensional beings. Like maybe these... Maybe these beings are interdimensional. I, I don't know why they say that. For whatever reason, they get this impression it's not from our uh, from our reality. So that's where maybe it is. Um, like you just mentioned, these, you know, maybe they have ways to observe us. Maybe they can't physically come here. That's why it's difficult to get physical evidence. Maybe mm. um, because maybe they are from a complete interdimensional level, like you mentioned. Uh, 
uh, and maybe cost too much or it's or it's not possible for them to actually physically come here, but maybe they can open certain pathways, like like uh, I mentioned. Maybe they can observe, like you talked about. Maybe that's what these balls are observing, or they're able. They're trying to communicate, and maybe that's why it comes off as weird. Um, but that also doesn't answer like the ships. You know, that's why I like the giant ships. You know, because I don't know. It doesn't seem like that's just some little portal. You know, if you have a you know four hundred foot long ship <laughs> floating around. Uh, that seems like comes from somewhere else. So I, I don't know how that would fit in, but yeah, I like your, I like the way, you, the way you thought it there. What yeah. Well, it's all, all in, mostly inspired by your video talking about it all. So, you know, but yeah, cool. it's like you said before about the, the, the vibrational level, like if the, the big bang, you know, is actually the thing that explains how the whole universe started, then everything in the universe at one point was in this tiny little, you know, location, everything was all compressed down into one little point. So that that would only be possible by massively changing the vibrational level so that everything is completely, you know, compressed into one little point there. So it, it, if that actually is the case, it must be possible to change vibrational levels so that you can actually change, like, dimensional level to an extent. And like you said, we tend to think of things from a human perspective that we are the baseline for all life in the universe. But actually, yeah. intelligent life might have evolved on a, a way bigger dimensional level than us or even a way smaller, you know, dimensional level. And, and these craft could actually be something that's originated on a completely different dimensional level and they're able to actually adjust the, the vibrational level to bring mm-hmm. it into different dimensions. So they could be absolutely minute from our point of view but then they're somehow able to raise the vibrational level to come up to our density you know it's 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 all mind-blowing stuff i'm just trying to wrap my head around it but (laughs) yeah well it it is right and then you talk about what's time and then what's (laughs) it gets very it gets very confusing right but you mentioned it that's the only perspective we have you know that's really the only perspective we have is is the human perspective so it's difficult um to look past that, right? Mm. Because we're all by, you know, every one of us is biased a hundred percent. I know I'm biased and, but I, I try and look past it, <laughs> you know, but at the end of the day, uh, that's our only, that's our only perspective. Um, but, but I guess the main theory, the point you kind of brought up, um, or w- what I would respond to is the, the theory one, uh, one possibility that I thought of is that life actually is a requirement for the universe. So basically that life is, uh, or consciousness, however, however you kind of, you relate it as consciousness, um, but it is a requirement for the physics of the universe. So it's based on that. Right now we, we you know, we say we are outside of the universe. We're outside of nature really is kind of how we think of ourselves as humans. Um, but what if we are part of the you know the the constant like life is a constant in the universe just like uh heat is or uh energy you know maybe life is is also required and that mm. and that's how it could go through all these dimensional levels is it's uh it's growing i guess uh the the other thought just to make it even more <laughs> more convoluted uh alexei he t- he talks about um you know, we talked a little bit about perceptions uh so three dimensions, I think we got that. Three dimensions, we're pretty solid on that. So fourth dimensions, I think we're pretty good on that for time. 
Um, so what he's saying is that actually what we're seeing a lot of these effects is a fifth dimension, uh, but but it 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 appears weird to us. You know, if it, it, we had to read a book called um, Flatland. Did you guys have to read that in geometry class in the UK? No, I can't uh, say I've ever heard of it. it. Yeah, it's a great book. Um, but basically what it is is this this universe of the book is Flatland. You know, it's two-dimensional. And then you it, it's them, these characters in two dimensions, seeing like a three-dimensional uh, ball go through their universe. Does that make sense? So they see like yeah, a, yeah. you know, it starts as a little point and then it expands out into a circle, right? Mm. And then it and then it crumbles back into a point. Um, so maybe that's like what we're seeing with this expansion of the universe. And then we're like, it's going to be a big crunch. Okay, but that's what we're seeing. Um, but really all you're seeing is a three-dimensional ball going through our two-dimensional universe or a fifth dimensional ball going through our fourth dimensional universe. Um, yeah, related to perceptions and just how we perceive it, I guess. Another thought there. Yeah, cool, man. That's all fascinating stuff. But yeah, just to uh, kind of go back to what you were talking about with um, the, the the different sort of like uh, organisms and different, I think you called it um, like countries are like creatures. Have, yes. you, have, you, have you heard much about like... Um, uh, super organisms yeah. I've, I've been i've been quite interested in uh, biology i actually studied biology before i went into doing doing music and um one, one of the things that i was always really interested in is ants and the way that ants actually operate it's like a lot of scientists call it there's some debate about it but a lot of scientists call it a, a super organism so even though the ants are obviously individual creatures actually it's more like the the colony is is the creature and it, it just kind of really interested me when you were talking about that with each country being sort of like a super organism. And then you could even say that the human race is like an you know ultra organism in, in a way. And then you could even sort of extrapolate that out and the, the solar system of the universe becomes a like a mega organism or, or whatever you would call it, you know. And um, it also sort of links back to that thing with Neuralink of like, as we progress in technology, are we becoming more and more of a, a super organism or ultra organism or whatever you want to think of it as and with ants in particular um as ants evolved the the sense of individuality of of each particular creature within the colony actually diminishes and diminishes and it becomes more about the the you know the collective consciousness of the actual colony do you kind of see a future where humans are going towards that or do you think individuality is kind of like a key component of being human and will somehow manage to retain that huh. yeah so i mean that's a great great question um i think you're spot on superorganism. that's yeah I, I, I just like you i've been interested in this stuff for years you know this uh, this theory uh not not ufos i was more interested in this this side of 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 life and so i've read all probably the same stuff you've read on on ants uh mm. superorganisms. Uh, that's awesome. You're into biology. I love Richard Dawkins. He's, you know, I'm a huge fan, uh, uh, not lately, but I, I read all of his stuff growing up and he brought up a good point. Uh, he was talking about there's phenotypes. Uh, so if you look at evolutionary theory, uh, basically you have the DNA, like you mentioned, and the DNA programs, the, the rest of the matter, right? It, it, it creates the organism that we call an organism essentially. Like, like you mentioned, it's like a, it's like a, a seed crystal. So it makes the organism, right? Uh, but if you think about a snail, so a snail, if you think about the organism of a snail, uh, it creates the shell, 
right? So it for, it creates the shell through whatever. I don't know. Actually, know how a snail makes <laughs> makes the shell. I know a snail makes the shell. Or let's use an ant with an anthill. That's probably even better. A better relation. Go with your uh, your analogy. So the ant hill makes. Uh, uh, sorry, the uh, the ant makes the the ant hill, right? Hmm. But did it really make the ant hill? Because the DNA kind of made the anthill, right? That, that's the argument, is the, the DNA was actually the driving force for the creation of that, of that anthill, the, the, the actual physical form of the anthill. Um, and that's called phenotype effects. So phenotype, and, and I, I, I read a little bit into evolutionary biology, like herd effects, um, you know, is this, and from what I understand in evolutionary biology, it's kind of controversial. They're, they don't really think think of it in, in that terms. Um, but I think if the anthill survives, right, because it, it, it is better at, it has a better fit for the environment, then that DNA will survive. Um, so in a lot of ways, I think the anthill is, or I argue the anthill is the, the DNA. It, it's the physical representation at our dimensional level. Like you, you said it very well. It's the physical representation of our dimensional level of, of that DNA is, is the anthill. Um, so I think the, the relationship, is, it works the same. You just extrapolate. It, the problem is you just think you're a human, so you get in the way. Your, your humanism gets in the way. But if you just extrapolate it, then yes, the DNA, each one of our DNA actually the trillions of DNA uh, strands in your body and mine combine actually to create that superorganism of, of that is the U.S. Right? I, mm. I think that is, uh, and I don't. I don't. Again, I don't. This is the first time I've really heard the theory. That's why I made it and, and made the video. I was kind of waiting for someone to bring it out, and then I could be like, I knew it all. You know, like that's what I thought, <laughs> <laughs> but it never came. Right? So I was like, I'll just make it. Um, but I think that is it. Yes. The, so the superorganism would be. And different levels. So you have, um, like, a city is a is a small. It's a small cell in the larger national organism, uh, but it makes up certain uh, organelles. So then you go out to, uh, like, the state, right? And that that would be an uh, an organelle. Uh, and then you go out to the actual full uh, country, and then you go to James Lovelock. He said was Gaia, right? So the whole Earth is its own superorganism. Uh, is what he relates, but then he stopped there as well, right? So I was like, yeah. uh, "What if? What if we keep actually keep going?" Uh, and the reason is we have evidence to 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 keep looking at at larger scales because when we look down at smaller scales, we find tons of life. You know, that that's all we find when we look down, at least here. Um, so I guess the, why when we look up is it is it so is it so different? Um, so it, yeah, I would like to, I would like to see in the future. Um, Maybe some of these thoughts related to political science, you know, if we could relate, you kind of mentioned on, uh, will humans go away? Uh, I don't know if that's what you actually mentioned, but I, I think there's a very real possibility actually, for sure. You know, if you look back in, in history, <laughs> I don't think any or few animals have really stayed around for, for that long. Um, so I think we'll definitely evolve in some way for sure. For, in, in some way, I would hope we stick around. And I think the way we can stick around is to try and communicate or affect the higher dimensional levels uh, to help our own dimensional level, if that makes sense. So I, I think if you, at least how I felt, is in the government, like uh, in the U.S., a lot of times we just, our, 
our nation does things that I just think are impulsive and it, it feels like we're inside of a large animal. It really does. It feels like, <laughs> you know, like what, they're not doing it for us. You know, who are, who are we doing this for? Uh, you know, so I, I hope that we can start to see these as actual, actual creatures, actual superorganisms, understand them more, and then try and find a way to uh, either adjust their motives or try and f- to write ourselves into the future it, it is really the ultimate. Because um, I think it's questionable whether, whether we're there or not. Um, yeah, so I think that it's worth at least uh, entertaining these these ideas, right? Because we've shown in the past that humans, we don't know everything. 100% we don't know everything. There's information we we don't know. We're going to update our current theories undoubtedly. Um, so it would be nice to see the just these thoughts. And maybe we could write ourselves into the future. You know, if we understand where the big picture is going, where, where's, the, where's the vector, you know, the momentum of life in general uh, can we affect it in a positive way? And then can we, can we make it so we're needed or necessary, you know, because it, there may be a chance where we're not necessary. Yeah, man, it's fascinating to speculate. And uh, like you mentioned about the, the James Webb telescope as well, perhaps some element of what's going to be discovered by that telescope is some existence of a life at a higher dimensional level. We'll have to see how it pans out, eh? I was excited to hear that. Yeah, John Ramirez mentioned it. Anytime somebody mentions the JWST, man, I get excited. Uh, but I was—it's been six years. Like I was really, really pumped. <laughs> you know, like it, yeah. I don't know. I was, over, I was overly excited for the James Webb Space Telescope, and now I've just crashed. And now I don't. You know, I'm like, whatever. They're never going to launch it. Um, so we'll make our own. We'll make our own systems. Um, yeah, man. Well, I think uh, we'll we'll wrap it up there for now. So, would you like to just tell the listeners where they can find you on social media and things like that, so people can check out your content? Yeah, definitely. I make a video at least once a week on YouTube, so that's where I'm primarily at. Just my YouTube channel, Chris Lado, uh, and then I I tweet once in a while on Twitter. So basically, just my YouTube channel. Brilliant, man. Brilliant. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. I know there's a few of my uh, regular listeners who are big fans of yours. Shout out John Jr. and Nick. They've both been asking about uh, getting getting you on the show. So I'm sure they'll really enjoy listening to what you had to say. So yeah, thanks a lot for being here, man. Yeah, thanks, John and Nick, for supporting. Thanks, thanks, Frank, for asking me on. And uh, yeah, happy to be on anytime. Thanks. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Thanks a lot. Okay, so that's about all for today's show. Hope you've enjoyed that. I found it a really interesting chat with Chris. And just to go over Chris's social media again, just for anybody who doesn't already follow him on there, on Twitter, it's at ChrisOtis78. So that's C-H-R-I-S-O-T-I-S-78. And you can find Chris on there. And if you just search Chris Leto on YouTube, you'll be able to find Chris's channel. So that's Chris, and then L-E-H-T-O. And if you, if you want to find him on YouTube, that's how you find him. As always, I'm on Twitter, at UFO Thinker. It'd be great to hear from you guys if you've got any thoughts to follow on from what we've been talking about in today's episode. And as I mentioned in the intro of the show, I now have a Patreon as well. So just in case anybody's not familiar with what Patreon is, it's basically a website where you can support the podcast by uh, paying three as little as three pounds per month to support the show. Now, I'm obviously not trying to make millions of pounds off this thing, but what it is is it actually costs quite a lot of money to run a podcast as it turns out. I hadn't really noticed for 
the first few months of doing the podcast but um yeah there's all kinds of podcast hosting costs and microphones and i'm even currently in the process of uh, paying somebody to do some artwork for the podcast so it's actually cost me quite a few hundred pounds by this stage so i thought I'd try and recoup a bit of that anyone who does really want to support the podcast and help us to kind of grow this thing and keep it moving uh, you can head over to patreon and uh, search ufo thinker and support from as little as three pounds per month and um it would be very much appreciated obviously only do so if you can afford to um you know the podcast will always be free for you to listen to anyway even if you don't so just wanted to get that in there but until next time guys stay curious take it easy and i'll catch you in the next episode you have podcast.